0: You want to be free. The the, the first thing you have to think about is what kind of education should
1: we possess? Two words, deaf, Two words, deaf deaf education. All right, good afternoon. Thanks for joining the Deaf Education Podcast. And we are a podcast that is focused on public education, social justice, the arts. And one of the honors that we have is to bring on many talented guests. And today we're speaking with someone who is an educator, who's a dancer, an author, and all-around talent, the talented Miss Iantha Youson. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great. It is so awesome to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thank you for joining us on Deaf Ed. Uh, give our listeners an idea of who you are.
0: Oh, man. Okay. Well, I am, first of all, a woman of God. (laughs) I love Jesus. I love the word of God. I love teaching the word of God. Um, I'm a native New Orleanian, but I've been in Augusta, Georgia for it'll be 18 years this year, which is crazy. So I guess I'm a New Orleans, Georgia peach, if you will. Um, (laughs) I think who we are is wrapped up a lot in what we do. So um, I'm an educator, as you mentioned in the intro. I've been um, a language arts teacher in middle school for 15 years. This is my 15th school year. It's crazy. Wow.
1: That's that is a lot of time.
0: <laughs> it is a lot of time. I, uh, I'm a lover of words. I love written language. It's my primary uh, means of communication. I just love to write. Um, and so all things English, all things English language. I should be bilingual. I should be bilingual with Spanish. But, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So um um I'm a mentor. I love speaking into young girls' lives. That's how the dance school came about. I think we'll get to that later, but um that's a that's about who I am. I'm single. People always want to ask that. I'm single. I'm not married. I don't have any children. So it's just me out here doing what God is calling me to do.
1: I love it. I love it. What would you say are your influences? Who are your influences?
0: Oh, wow. Um I think that would be um, kind of a, a group of people, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm influenced by ignorance. I am. When people don't know, I get excited because I get the opportunity to teach them. I'm more than just a classroom teacher. I'm a, I'm just a teacher, period. That's really who I am. Um I believe that teachers are born, and I'm going to tell you, I've been playing school since I was, like, in second grade, <laughs> so <laughs> when I see that people don't know, I'm influenced by that. It, it inspires me to teach, to guide, to show them how to do it for themselves. Literally anything that I know, I desire to teach it.
1: Now, what is your creative process when you're creating in terms of dance or, or writing What's your process? Do you have to just get complete silence or do you go to a certain um, space? I
0: think that my process is different for everything that I do. Um, You know, dancing is one thing. Writing is one thing. Even speaking is another. And even inside of I'll just use writing as an example. Every time that I write, the process may be different. So I'll just give you some examples. Um, uh, When I was writing my first book. I knew exactly what the title was going to be. I knew the chapters. The book already had a skeleton before I even started writing. And so because I was so very sure of where the book was headed, that meant setting up a writing schedule. And so I would get up, you know, 4 a.m. Knowing I had to be to work at 8. So I would use those first hours in the morning to really pour into that. And I stuck to that schedule and got it done. Now, the second book took me six years to write. (laughs) <laughs>
1: so,
0: <laughs> so it was a different process with dance I hear the music first I, I, when I listen to a song what happens for me is I can see an entire production in my head Andre, like serious um, I see all the pieces I see how many dancers I need I see the costuming I see everything and so what I do you know those of us who love music that's why we're here right I will listen to a song on repeat hundreds of times it seems because I needed to get into my system and once it's there I can do anything with that song and that's kind of the process for dancing I start with the
1: music so as an educator do you think that sometimes the structure of schools and schooling stifles the creativity of our young people
0: absolutely I absolutely believe that the structure of school stifles our children sometimes. And it takes a truly innovative teacher and one who is um, intuitive, like you you have to be able to see that that's happening, you know, to be able to um, get inside of your classroom and keep that from happening with your students. I absolutely Mm -hmm. believe it because they're, you know, the school systems believe that all children can learn in one way you know we get these one or or this one test at the end of the year all of our children learn that way sometimes our children express what they know in other means sometimes they can speak it sometimes they can you know uh, show it in a project but yeah i absolutely believe they're stifled
1: now a few weeks ago we all watched the inauguration and we saw this beautiful poet Amanda Gorman young lady read a wonderful poem and i am i immediately sent the poem out to my teachers and i said listen i don't know what you have planned for next week but you need to integrate this into our english language arts whether it's a few stanzas or or looking at the entire thing and pulling out figurative language but i feel like as principals and as teachers we have to be able to make those quick adjustments and pivots what inspires you in in your teaching moments like that do those things translate into what you do with young people
0: yeah i've had very many moments like that and first of all i do agree that it was phenomenal this that girl had me captivated I was just like ah because she was beautiful in every way physically beautiful her words were beautiful presentation was on point um but yes moments like that I think matter and the great thing about the team that I'm on you know in middle school we work on teams is the social studies teacher decided that she wanted to use it in her class and so I kind of stayed away from it did I touch on it in my class absolutely in fact it made it Easier for me to pull things from it because she was already working on it. So I think it is um, necessary that we teach children that what they're learning in school is supposed to relate to their lives. We have to pull real life into the classroom because otherwise they think that education and that their schooling is, you know, in a box, that it's something completely separate from everything else going on in the world. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, we have to build those bridges from the classroom out into the real world. Otherwise, it has no value.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So, so tell me, we have a portion of our, our podcast where we call it It Was Written. And we ask our listeners and our, we ask our guests to share two books that you would recommend to our listeners. So what are two books that you would want us to pick up?
0: Oh, boy. As much as I love writing, I love reading. This is this is difficult. I did think about this a little bit because I knew it was coming. Um, I would say The Purpose Driven Life, and that's by Rick Warren. And I just think that no matter your faith, no matter what you believe, I personally believe that everyone was created with purpose. There is something that we are supposed to be doing in this earth. We are not here to just live. Uh, work jobs and pay bills, you know, that's not what we're here for. We should be impacting lives in whatever capacity that we're, you know, created to do that. And wherever we are, um, wherever we flourish, we should be sharing that with people. And that book pulls at everything inside of you, inside of you to make you pinpoint what you're purposed to do. Um, so that I would I, everyone should read Purpose Driven Life. And then um, I feel like if you haven't read our former first lady Michelle Obama's book Becoming, you just got to read it. Um, my favorite reads are memoirs and biographies. And so I was just so excited that she wrote one. She is iconic. Um, and if you lived in America anytime, you you were affected by that. Um, That presidency, you were. And so with her book, of course, it's her memoir. She wrote about her life, but so much of her adult life was connected to our former president, uh, Barack Obama. And seeing how her life uh, intertwined into his and then into that actual administration, that time Mm -hmm. that they were in the White House, man, I feel like I know them so much more. I know so much more about their leadership. It was very well written, and it was um, it was a it was a lot. It was a lot. She did not hold back. So it's it's a great read.
1: I think we've all learned in the last couple of years how a presidency or an administration can set the tone for the entire nation. It's, isn't that true?
0: Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree, and that's and that's <laughs> one reason why that's one reason why I enjoyed that read so much. I don't if you if you agreed with that administration or not, no leader is going to do everything right. No one's you know, everyone's not going to jump on and agree with the leader. But no one can deny that, you know, that leadership was compassionate and thoughtful. They cared about people and um, and it was done with class. And you could see why if you read the memoir. So.
1: And The Purpose Driven Life is a wonderful book, too, because it forces you to connect with your why. And I think as an educator, that's so important.
0: Yeah, I agree. And again, that's why I think everybody, you have to know your why. You're created to do something. And that book does help you to connect with your why. You're still right.
1: So let's see. Share a few lines from maybe an inspirational song that you love. Uh, It doesn't have to be a hip-hop song. But, you know, there's always music that inspires something that we're doing. Is there some lyric that you'd like to share?
0: Um, hmm. There is a song that I've been listening to on repeat for the last three days. Um, it's called Speak to the Mountain. And I, the artist is slipping me right now. But um, it just repeats over and over. Uh, great mountain get out of my way. Old Great Mountain, get out of my way. Um, and right now, although I am a classroom teacher, I am working on some other things. I'm, I'm making some moves in, in education where God is pointing me to to branch out a little bit. And it's scary, Andre. It's, it's pretty scary. Um, being that, like I said, 15 years in the classroom, you get kind of, you know, you get used to what you've been doing. And for someone like me, it could be all that you know. Um, so having to step out is scary, but exciting at the same time. And I've just been having to repeat to myself, you know, mountain, get out of my way. Even if it's my own mind sometimes, you know, having to make this change, um, what seems big, having to write big emails, having to reach out to people that I'm just like, oh, will they even hear me. I have to (laughs) tell myself mountain, get out of my way, push forward, do what you know you need to do. So, um. That's the well, lyric. it looks like
1: you're doing that. It looks like you're you're moving mountains and get, and getting around them.
0: I'm I'm pushing, and I'm telling you, <laughs> I talk to myself a lot. Move forward, so I don't miss the boat.
1: <laughs> so, talk to us about this new book. He wasn't it either. Tell us about that.
0: Oh man. Um. Well, like as I alluded to earlier, you know, um, I know that I i'm called to do a particular thing and that thing is to to teach to inspire and my life has like anybody's life taken turns and you know we hit bumps and we we have bruises and um i knew that i had to write the book because there were women who needed to hear my story And straight up, God told me that there were women who were going to be able to connect because if they were in relationships like I was in, they were either in them or they had been in them. Mm -hmm. And it has proven true. Every time that I've had to speak concerning this book, every person that has, you know, written a testimonial from having read it, everybody's telling me exactly what God told me before I wrote it. So basically the book is, um, it is my relationship memoir. And I wrote about the relationships in my life, five of them, which really is all that I ever really had, five relationships. And I just detailed it. I wrote a narrative of it. And after that, I, you know, I detailed the lessons that I learned from it. And it was, it was basically written to hopefully keep women from making some of the same mistakes that I made, um, to look for the signs, to um, to know their worth, and to, to, to remember that their purposed and that a relationship can either make or break that. So that's that's really the premise of that book. When people see the title, he wasn't it either. They think it's a male bashing book. And it is so not that. It is anything but that. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not bashing, guys. I think that, you know, relationships are beautiful. Marriage is a beautiful thing. I don't plan on being single forever. One day I do plan to be married. Um, but I know that I'm going to do it the right way. I know that my marriage will be purposeful. And that's really only the point that I wanted to make. I needed people to see where I messed up so they could see um, how to avoid that themselves.
1: I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful to hear that you're using your experiences to teach adults, single women. Um, It reminds me of your your previous book, Stories That Teach Girls, A 30-Day Walk Through Girls' Life Lessons with God's Word. Talk to us about that book.
0: Yeah. Um, whenever I'm speaking, you know, here recently, not very much, you know, due to the pandemic. But before that, when I would sit down and speak with anyone about the books or, you know, talk to an audience, I will always say, <laughs> if you read this book first, Stories That Teach Girls. You won't need this one. He wasn't <laughs> it <in> either. <laughs> you know? um, but that was again every book that I've written. Let me just take it aside real quick. I have friends in my life who tell me I have. You should be a full-time author. And I say, you know, well, I could do that. But the thing with me is, I write when I have something to say. Mm-hmm. And for me to be forced to write, you know, if somebody, if some publisher gave me a deal and said, well, you know, in the next two years, we need a book. That would be so stifling for me um, because I would have to come up with something. The books that God gave me to write, he always was very, very clear about what he wanted me to say, how he wanted me to say it, exactly who it was for. And that's what happened with with uh, stories that teach girls. My dance school is geared toward girls ages five through sixteen. And when they're at dance camp in the summer, you know, we have 80 plus girls every summer. Our last summer that we had camp, we had 95 girls. I'm with them one week and I see them grabbing hold of God's word and all the life lessons that we're teaching them life skills. Um, You know, we teach around all the things that are that are girl, you know, abstinence and purity and adolescence and conflict, resolution and. We're doing all of that, but then I send them home, and I don't know if they have homes that are continuing to teach those lessons and to pour into them the way that we do throughout the week. My heart would break every year after camp, and that's how that book was birthed. I wanted them to have something in their hands all the time that they could always go back to so they could have the camp experience away from camp. So that's how that one came to be.
1: So you mentioned the dance school. Tell us about the dance school. Is that every summer or is that ongoing throughout the year?
0: Well, uh, Praise Movement School of Dance is the name of the dance school. And it is, we have two major pieces a year. Um, We have the summer dance camp. So we are not year round. We have the summer dance camp. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's a week long. And it ends with a culminating uh, dance showcase, showcase at the end. So the girls are there throughout the week. We give them breakfast. We give them lunch, um, and we are in dance sessions and we're in spiritual food sessions all day. And um, they're divided into age groups. They learn about three or four songs that we we dance them out at the end of the week at the showcase. Um, and uh, we also have our fall tour, and that is when you know I grab some girls from camp. They have to have a tryout. I need mature dancers, and we go into these different cities and we hold weekend workshops. We just get girls out from in those cities and. Uh, We teach them the word of God through dance. We give them a little showcase at the end of their weekend for their families, and then we're on to the next place. So Praise Movement School of Dance is very evangelistic in nature. It's all about teaching. It's all about reaching. It's all about building girls.
1: So I want to ask you a question about education, the current state of public education. If someone were to approach you and say, you know what, what is one thing that we could change about schools to improve the quality of those schools for our kids. What is one thing you might suggest?
0: Man, um oh andre, there are so many things. This is a tough question. Um my my heart immediately goes to teachers with that question. I think that our students are as good or as bad as they are based on the type of teacher that's leading them. Um, I wish that there were a way to, and I know that we have teacher shortages everywhere. I know that. But I wish that there were a way that we could screen teachers and train teachers a little bit more. I, you know, haven't been in middle school all this time and we're working on teams I've seen students go into one classroom on our team, and they are like animals in that classroom. And then they come to my class or another teacher's class on the team, and they are model students. Their performance academically in the classes where they're model students, I'm talking high academic performance. But when they're in the other class where they're being animals because they're led to be animals, it shows up in their academic performance as well. Yes. Students are going to be students. Teachers have to be teachers. So I just think that a lot of our students downfalls come as a result of teachers either not being adequately prepared to teach or, um, just not being made to teach I'll just go ahead and say it I think that teachers are born I really do we're born sometimes you just you just don't have it and we have to be able to identify it you know if you're not good with money I don't want you being my financial advisor mm-hmm. you know um if you're either not good with students or afraid of them um, afraid to put the the your foot down or and not that we have to be you know domineering but you have to be able to manage students. You have to be able to manage your class. And students hurt when teachers can't do that.
1: I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that school closures and this pandemic has, has been like the um, sifting of the profession. And, and you can tell who is really committed to these students in these communities that we agreed to serve. And you can tell who's using this moment as an opportunity to slack off or, or, or just opt out of really giving 110% to these kids. I think that's happened.
0: Absolutely. I see it. And here in our County, um, you know, we are not completely virtual students have, you know, they had the option of going virtual or face-to-face and because I am who I am, I was like, um, I will be in the classroom. I'm a face-to-face teacher. <laughs> so, but there has been so much inconsistency due to COVID that we've been out of school more than we've been in. And it has been weighing on our kids. It takes passionate teachers to keep them motivated. I am with you and I've seen it too. I've seen teachers who have fallen off and when our kids need us the most, is when we should
1: buck up the most. You know? That's right. So, and I think sometimes as educators, we lose sight of why we're doing this. We get so focused on the superintendent or we get so focused on the principal. And at the end of the day, to a kid who's sitting in your class, none of that matters. They, they don't care about that. They just want to connect with their teacher. They want the lesson to be engaging and they want to know that you believe in them. That's what they want.
0: That's what they want. And I'm like anyone else, you know, the times that we're out of school, you know, I, I cheer too when they say, well, we have to close the <laughs> school for two weeks. You know, we're tired too. And when I'm home, I like being home and it's hard to go back. But when I'm there, when we are in session, flip mode, let's go. You know, we're here and we got to make the best of it because we don't know if tomorrow we're going to have to go back home. I make sure my students know that when we're in school, on it, we're in school. Let's do this.
1: So let me ask you a question, because one of the things I've always loved about the work that you do in your classroom and beyond your classroom is you you don't play small. You don't dim your light for anyone. Have you ever felt along the way the pressure from folks to ask you to, hey, just focus on this or, or you shouldn't do all of that? Have you ever experienced that?
0: <laughs> yes, um, especially my first few years of teaching, you know, when you first get you know, into your classroom and you start learning who you are as an instructor, as a facilitator, as mom, because we become all those things. Um, when you start learning who you are and you're in your zone, oh man, I was doing all kinds of stuff that seemed unorthodox.
1: (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, I mean,
0: I've got the kids cheering in the classroom. We're standing on desks. You know, I have all these walls moving outside of my classroom and um, kids are putting stuff on wall and actually writing on the papers outside in the classroom. I got challenges going on between classes and all this stuff. I mean, I had teachers who had been there for years and they were tired and they were burnt out and I was doing too much, you know? So, yeah, I definitely have had that. I've, um, And I think even still I get it sometimes with because uh, I just, you're right, I don't go small. I I like to be first to uh, turn stuff into administration because I don't like my name on the list. You're not calling my name over the you know internet. <laughs> in, you know what I'm saying? So I'm a, I'm a little extra with it. I just think excellence is in order at all times, you know, and I want to be excellent with my students. I want to teach them what excellence is. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely had it. I've had the calm down. You don't have to do that much. Um, y'all are too loud what classroom should be silent all the time you know <laughs> so yeah yeah
1: so educators are feeling a lot of pressure now they're feeling pressure because some of them are being forced to come back into their buildings uh with children some just with staff in my in my case my staff is just came back this week but there are no kids in the building what would you say to educators in this strange space that we're in right now cuz they need, to, they need to know, you're an educator, but what would you say to inspire them or to, to reassure them right now that, hey, we matter?
0: Hmm. I would tell them to never lose sight of why they became teachers in the first place. Never lose sight, because it is a, you know, it is a tough time. You know, I even have moments where I'm like, why are we here? Man, they don't care about us. You know, um, I have moments like that. But as I said earlier, when I'm in that classroom with those children, they're my focus. And I forget what's happening everywhere else. And, you know, we're taking measures. Every school that is in session is taking measures to make sure that we're safe. We're doing the absolute best that we can. And I would tell teachers, take care of yourself while you're in the building Take care of your children. If that is the forefront, then you'll be okay. Remember that you're there for them. Remember the passion. Don't ever lose sight of the passion. Remember that they need you. It's hard for them too. Um, But just stay focused on the children. That that would be my advice.
1: So there are four groups that I think about a lot during this pandemic in terms of public education. I think about my pre-K students who were looking forward to coming into a school and never had that chance this year. I think about my kindergarten students who, you know, may not have attended pre-K but this was going to be their first school experience and their entire kindergarten experience has been virtual. I think about kids who are in their senior year and you know all the great things that go on during your senior year and for it to be all virtual. And finally, I think about some of the first year teachers I hired this year who have only been able to meet their students on Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And I think that that is, that's unfortunate that they didn't get that real experience, the kids nor the teachers.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. The question was breaking up a little bit. Can you do that one all over? I apologize.
1: I was just sharing that when I think about what's going on in public education right now, I think about my pre-K and kindergarten students who didn't have a chance to experience the joy of coming in school, going to recess, drawing with their friends, uh, all of that. I think about kids who would have had their senior year this year and they had to do it virtually. And I also think about our first year teachers who, whose entry into our great profession has been through a computer screen, so it's a, it's a weird space to be in. So I was just sharing that. Any thoughts for you? Any epiphanies that you've had in the midst of all of this as an educator?
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you. I've had those thoughts too. Um, with you know, with the dance school, I have young girls under my wing that I've groomed and and had the opportunity to watch grow from nine years old to now. They're in college themselves. And my babies, I had three of them who, no, not no, 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 no. There were about five of them actually who went into their freshman year of college virtually. Oh my God. <laughs> and they were, I mean, cause they, they hear from the older girls all these years and they couldn't wait to get there. And I'm talking to them about the joys of mm-hmm. college cause college was like the time of my life. Okay. And when those babies got there and they're in their rooms they're on the college campus but they're not getting the full experience oh my heart breaks for them because i think about my freshman year in college and if i had to be told you know i'm thinking about when the pandemic first hit in the middle of my freshman year you're telling me we're shutting it down i gotta go home to be with my parents what are you even saying
1: (laughs) what are you even
0: saying you know so i i too have had those thoughts and there's so many um different uh, I guess uh, sex of that SECTS of that you got your freshmen in college, you got your your college graduates, you know the, that time that's happening right now and you're you're at the end of your career, your your undergraduate career and you're not able to do even all the fun things that come with that. I think about sisters who were planning on pledging into a sorority at this time.
1: Mhm. Yeah, up, absolutely. So
0: many little areas where people are missing out. So I've definitely thought on those things. That's heartbreaking.
1: <laughs> so, what would you say is one of your biggest regrets or disappointments, and what did you learn from it?
0: Oh wow. Um, one of my biggest regrets or disappointments. Oh, let me tell you. Back in, I think it was either it had to be two thousand nine to uh, twenty ten where uh praise movement was um, really in a growth spurt and that's when she became you know legal as a dance school because at first you know we started as just a dance camp and uh, when i saw that we could do more um i you know we went ahead on and got incorporated and did all the things to become legal and um And it was moving so fast that I was like, we need a building. And so here I am going, look for these places. (laughs) And I go to, you know, whoever owns the spot and, you know, it was, it was like in a strip mall. And so they, you know, we signed this lease for me to have the building. And I I, I do this whole grand opening and I'm like, we're going to be in here. And, you know, um, we had had a sign put up on the building, but there was, we had, Andre, we had no permits to build inside that place. We had no (laughs) we had nothing. I had no idea. But at the same I had I had bad counsel at that time. Um, these were people that I respected and I still do very much respect. We still I still have a relationship with them. And they had had businesses of their own. And so the advice that they were give that they was giving me, I, I I took it and I ran with it, but they did not guide me well. They were actually giving me the buddy system and they were, you know, referring me to people who would do things for me, you know, kinda under the table and on the low. We'll get it done for you. But I mean skirting around all of the legalities that were necessary for me to (laughs) make for me to, you know, give attention to. And I don't know anything. So here I am. These people have given me a lease and they're thinking that I know what I'm supposed to be doing. So There is someone in there putting up drywall and building and doing stuff. And then the fire marshal comes in one day and he asks for permits. And I'm like, what what do you mean permits? It was so embarrassing. It was so hurtful. It was, I'm like, what am I, what am I even doing? You know, but, um, I'll never ever forget the word of God that says, you know, plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors and many advisors, they, they succeed. And uh, I just had poor counsel at that time. And what I learned is to make sure that anytime I'm making any big moves, I have to include people who have been there and done that successfully.
1: That's great advice. That's, that is key advice for anyone trying to make a move.. Yeah.
0: Go with the ones who have been there and done it, done it successfully
1: so what does the future hold for you
0: oh man well um i was happy to to come on here and talk to you because i haven't shared this with you yet i was like i'll just tell them when we're on the podcast but uh, (laughs) um i am going to be venturing into more so because i'm already kind of there but many opportunities are happening now for me to an education consultant for classroom management it's my heart it already came out without me even trying to when I asked that question and then I went in on teachers I'm like ah. so um, <laughs> that's where I am I'm going to be partnering with colleges and universities and school systems and principals yeah um, to talk to their teachers man and give them strategies and techniques and you know to empower them and most of all equip them to go into those classrooms and make it happen they they have to be able to manage their classrooms or no teaching is going to take place so um that's where i am i'm going to be doing a lot of speaking and a lot of facilitating and and doing that thing so that's what's happening with me
1: there's a great need for that because if with if there's no classroom management nothing is going on
0: Is going on. It's a wasted day. It's a wasted school year. It's a, And if you don't start strong from the beginning, you can give it up. They're going to run your class all year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank you for joining the Deaf Education Podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you and, and learning from you. And uh, we will continue to look for great things from Iantha Youson. And give the listeners the name of the book again and where they can find it.
0: Um. Well, yeah, and thank you for having me. It has been great. This This has been really, really good. Um, but you can find me um, or find the book at ianthasinsight.com, ianthasinsight.com. You're going to see that the site is under construction because there is a lot coming up, but you can still get your book there. So it's also on Amazon as well.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and as we close out, Give us a song, an inspirational song that we might play as we close out. Something to inspire our listeners.
0: Oh, man. Um, play Kevin Ross's Do You Want to Be Great. Play that. Do you want to be great, great,
1: great? Do you want to be? Do you want to be?
0: do move and focus Rise above and lose the vultures It's hard to fly when nose is close So you keep pulling it down Yeah,
1: off my chest, no more excuses Scared to death, but I can't lose grip I'm scared to jump, I'm scared to fail I'm scared of you, I'm scared of myself But what is life if I can't be?